Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you here. It's not quite 9 o'clock, but we want to uh, get you started just by getting you focused with some praise and some worship this morning. We're just going to sing a couple songs to get everybody headed in the right direction. And uh, we actually want to teach you a new song this morning called I Believe. How many believers do we have in here today? Hallelujah. Why don't you high-five your neighbor and say, I'm a believer. How about you? Amen. I will never stop giving thanks for your word. I've chosen to receive it and do what I've heard. With the word of God alive inside of me, nothing is impossible when I believe. And I believe your word, my need you have supplied. I believe you, Lord, your word will never lie. I believe your word, whatever comes my way. I believe you, Lord, believe what you say. You guys are doing really good for a brand new song. I'm telling you what. You want to go on the road? All right, come on. Let's try it again together. Here we go. I will never stop giving thanks for your word. I've chosen to receive it and do what I've heard. With the word of God alive inside of me, nothing is impossible when I believe. I believe your word, my need you have supplied. I believe you, Lord, your word will never die. I believe your word, whatever comes my way. I believe you, Lord, believe what you say. Do it again. I will never stop giving thanks for your word. I've chosen to receive it and do what I've heard. With the word of God alive inside of me, nothing is impossible when I believe. And I believe your word, my need you have supplied. I believe you, Lord, never die. I believe your word, whatever comes my way. I believe you, Lord, believe what you say. stop, yeah. I will never stop giving thanks for your word. I've chosen to receive it and do what I've heard. With the word of God alive inside of me, nothing is impossible when I believe. And I believe your word, my need you have supplied. I believe you, Lord, your word will never lie. I believe your word, whatever comes. 
what you say. I believe, yes I do. Lord, 
all over the side joy this morning let's bless the name of the Lord hallelujah we bless you Lord God oh we say blessed be your name Lord God we say blessed be your name Jesus hallelujah father we love you we bless you this morning you are the name above every name we give you honor we give you glory we exalt you Lord in our hearts and in this place today. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. Everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. As you're seated, let's welcome Wendell Parr as he comes to minister to us this morning. Praise God. Thank you, sir. Well, praise Jesus. <laughs> Well, how many of you are awake this morning? Well, half of you. Good to see everyone this morning. Had a tremendous start last night. It's just going to continue to build as we go through the week. So you don't want to miss anything that's going on. Hallelujah. So it's a joy to be able to share with you today. And uh, for those of you that might not know, I'm uh, Wendell Parr, as Daniel said. I'm uh, Director of World Outreach for Andrew Womack Ministries. And what that position uh, covers is uh, our Karis Bible Colleges around the world. And we have 18 schools now. And uh, God just continues to add. Should have three or four more in the next year or so. And a bunch more coming online. God's just doing an awesome thing through our Bible Colleges. And we're seeing hundreds probably safe and saying thousands of lives being transformed on a regular basis so it's exciting to be a part of what God is doing and I'm a blessed man to get to do what I do because I get to travel to all those schools and uh, uh, speak into the lives of students around the world so it's a it's a great honor I want to introduce my wife Linda here this morning and as Andrew's always bragging on his marriage, so I'll brag on mine. This September, we've been married 48 years. We, we were very, very young when we married. Our parents pushed us down the aisle in our buggies. And, uh, we, we just did an Indian wedding. The preacher said, you want them, you want them, you got them. And that was, but it worked. Because we're still still going all these years later. So, Hallelujah. Well, it's a great day to be alive. And this is the day the Lord has made and we will. And. Amen. So, I'm uh, kind of idling around the runway because I don't know exactly where I want to take off to. <laughs> I've got a couple things that I could share. One. It's what I want to share, and the other, I think, is what the Lord wants me to share, so guess which one you're going to get. And the reason I wanted to share the one I wanted to share is because it'd have everybody jumping and hollering and whooping and running around the building. That's, uh, but the one the Lord wants me to share is a little more serious, but will really be of value to you if you'll listen. I'm going to deal with a, with a subject that you don't often hear dealt with, but it's something we need to be aware of so that we can guard ourselves against it. And it is so sly, 
and, and so cunning that uh, sometimes people don't even realize they're involved in it until they see the results of it. And so what I want to do this morning, I, I want to share with you uh, an issue and, and, you know, I'm going to call it a sin. Don't get upset uh, that we call it that. But uh, anytime we miss the mark uh, of what God is wanting us to do, I, I believe it'd be classified as sin. And so you're looking at me saying, well, we don't want to talk about sin today. Well, I'm not really that excited about it myself. <laughs> but it's probably a subject that uh, needs to be dealt with since uh, most of us in here fit what the Roman says about us. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of the Lord. Now, thank God for forgiveness. Okay? Jesus took care of it as far as he's concerned. Uh, it's been covered and been dealt with by the blood. But how many of you know that if we don't appropriate that forgiveness, it's of no value to us? We need to understand that, yes, Jesus, when he went to Calvary's cross and shed his blood and then presented his own blood on the mercy seat of heaven, God said that's sufficient to cover every sin that's ever been committed or ever will be committed. And Jesus only had to do it one time. So I don't want anybody confused about that. I know uh, the power of the blood and I know the, the fact of our redemption that it is, it, it's an excellent redemption and it's forever. And so we know that, that, that Jesus has already taken care of it. But the Bible says that he died not only for our sins but for the sins of the entire world. But there's a lot of the world that have not by faith appropriate what Jesus has given by grace. And if we don't appropriate the forgiveness that God has extended, then it is of no value to us, even though it is ours rightfully. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying? And when we talk about, and, and a lot of people get all frustrated when you talk about confessing sins, and, and our minds go to the, we have to get out a list and begin to enumerate all of those. We need to understand the word confess just means to say the same as or to agree with God that we missed the mark or acknowledge that fact. And you realize if you never acknowledge you miss it, there's about a 100% possibility that you're going to continue to commit it. Okay. I see this is going to be just as exciting as I thought it was going to be. But you know, if you never acknowledge you're going the wrong direction, you're probably going to continue to go that direction. And all that acknowledging of, of that, all that, that it contains within the Word of God is that repentance then happens. And instead of continuing that direction, you turn and go the other. So maybe we're all on the same page now and, and you won't be throwing stones before I'm through. I just want to warn you, I've got some up here I can throw back. So, uh, and and I, I used to pitch baseball so I can, I can reach the back of the auditorium with any, any rock. So no one's safe in here if we start throwing stones. But I really think this is so important. So if you'll hear my heart this morning, I think this will be of great value to you. Because, you know, it's going to deal with, with, with a, a lot of areas in our lives. It's going to deal with family relationships. It's going to deal with job relationship. It's going to deal with school relationship. It's going to deal with, with uh, your possessions. It's going to deal with, with your church. It's going to deal with God. It's going to deal with God and His Word. It's going to deal with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to cover all of those areas. And so 
I, I want you to hear my heart and realize that that most of us are aware, and we don't want to talk about it a long time, but we need, to, we need to be aware of the fact that we do have an enemy. Satan does exist, and he has one mission that he's determined to do, and Jesus described it in John 10.10. 10, the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, we know he's a defeated foe. We know that Jesus soundly defeated him at the cross of Calvary, but he didn't do away with him. And we know that the Bible says he's still walking about, stalking, seeking whom he may devour. And we're given instructions how to resist him steadfastly in the faith. And we're told to resist him and he'll flee from us. And so we're not, we're not left helpless. But we need to be aware that he doesn't like you. And he is out to destroy you. He is out to steal from you. And if he possibly can, kill you. And that's, like I say, that's not, a, not anything to shout about, but that's a fact of life. And, and you need to be aware that once you commit your life to Jesus and baptize in the Holy Ghost and pursue God's will in your life, you become a prime target. It's like there's just a target painted on your back. And, and then he's going to be out, out shooting those fiery darts. But God didn't leave us helpless. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Corinthians... He says that though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And one way we do that is bringing every thought captive and, and bringing every thought into the obedience to Christ. And so we know that uh, God wouldn't be telling us about weapons if we didn't have someone to use the weapon against. And Paul goes on to say, and it's not with flesh and blood. We're not, we're not in combat with one another. But he's talking about this spiritual battle that all of us are involved in. And he tells us to endure hardness as a good soldier. This is what he wrote to Timothy. And, and made him aware of the fact that as we go through life, there's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some battles. There are going to be some opportunities to overcome. be hard to be an overcomer if there wasn't anything to overcome. It'd be hard to have a testimony if there wasn't a test. It'd just be a money. So we, we need to realize it. And Jesus warned us ahead of time that in this world you're going to face some of these difficult times. But he said, cheer up. It's not a time to get discouraged, but it's a time to cheer up because Jesus has overcome the world. And you and I in him become world overcomers. As a matter of fact, uh, I like the way God gives tests. Over in 1 John, he talks about... He asks the question in this test. He says, who is he that overcomes the world? And then to the test question, he gives us the answer. He that believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So here we need to understand we are world overcomers through our relationship with Jesus Christ. But there are things to overcome. And what I want to deal with today it is so often overlooked because it is so subtle. You know, the Bible introduced Satan as being the most subtle creature that God ever created. He cunning, sly, deceitful. And you know what? He doesn't come up in his red suit and his pitchfork and say, I'm the devil and I'm here to get you. I mean, you know, that's not the way he approaches us. And the Bible says that we shouldn't be ignorant of Satan's devices and realize that in the last days he's going to come disguised as, a, as an angel of light. This is why it's so important that we have the Holy Spirit and we learn to depend on the Holy Spirit to, to reveal these things to us. And He does it through the Word of God. And so that's the introduction. 
And, and that's not bad. So let's, uh, I was kind of pleased with that one myself. Let's go over to Matthew. I've been a little, uh, this, is, this has been a, a, a pretty good uh, uh, track we've been on here the last uh, few weeks. And uh, we just finished up three days of uh, uh, directors, uh, our international director meeting. Uh, they've all come in from all over the world and we had three days together and just going over the things that need to be covered and hearing their heart and them hearing ours and making plans to improve what we're doing. And uh, then uh, we're here. And uh, this is a pretty tough schedule. Hallelujah. But I've declared that I'm going to make it through this whole service awake. And I'm going to believe that you're going to stay awake with me. And that's one of the advantages of these wireless mics. If I see you dozing, I'll come out and thump you on the ear. I'll do it in Jesus' name, but I'll thump you. So if you would, open your Bibles. Some of you are wondering, is he ever going to open his Bible? Yes, yes, I'm going to. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And since Andrew's not in the building, I'm going to put my glasses on. <laughs> I'm going to begin reading in uh, verse 53 of Matthew chapter 13. And the scripture says this, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables... He departed from there, and when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in the synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Where has this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then has this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except or save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And we've heard much teaching about that last verse. And we recognize that, that uh, we are involved in whether God is able to do what God wants to do. And it has to do with our, our faith level. Or the unbelief level. It simply tells us that God just doesn't come in and does what God wants to do. But he ministers through people and to people and with our cooperation. And so we've heard great teaching on that last verse. But what I want to address this morning is something that's, that, that's very sly. And, and, and for a lack of a better term, I'm going to call it the sin of becoming too familiar. Or the sin of familiarity. And like I say, we don't, we don't hear a lot of teaching along these lines, but I believe this is so important because I see so often in believers' lives, this is the little sin that does so easily beset so many people. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us to lay aside that sin that doth so easily beset us, but if we're not aware it's happening, it's hard to set it aside. And so today I want to look at this, and I want you to see the progression of how this sin begins to work. Now notice here in this account, as these people came into the, into the uh, synagogue there in Nazareth, they're coming to hear uh, probably 
well, not probably, without a doubt, the greatest teacher, the greatest preacher, the greatest instructor of all time, then and now. I don't think anyone would doubt the teaching and preaching and demonstrating ability of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe, because Scripture testifies to it, that he, he never missed what God wanted him to do. He was, he was perfect before God. So that means that every time that Jesus stood up to teach or to preach or to minister, he was right on the button. He was speaking exactly what God wanted him to speak. Now that's what all of us that, that minister the Word of God, that's our heart's desire. We don't want to say anything that God wouldn't want us to say. But you know what? I haven't arrived at that state of perfection that Jesus was at. I'm closer than I was, but I'm not there yet. I usually say there's just not, we, there's not many perfect people out there. And then I usually say we're certainly in the minority. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is we know Jesus was perfection personified. And he never did anything or said anything that he didn't hear the Father saying. So I want to take you to that church service there in Nazareth when Jesus got up to minister and I want you to be in the congregation there and I want you to just begin to kind of think in your mind as you hearing Jesus the very Son of God begin to teach and begin to preach. You know I think most of us would have fit into this uh, category because he'd just been he'd been teaching uh, the parables uh, he he it was amazing how he could feed his flock uh, and with the same word, rebuke his foes. He, in one word, he could raise the dead or condemn the wicked. And so here he is teaching and preaching. And, and uh, here he is coming to his hometown and he's teaching. And, and it doesn't take long to get their attention. Matter of fact, it says right here in verse 54. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished at what he was saying. In other words, it was such a dynamic message, they were sitting on the edge of their seats. It could hardly wait for the next word to come out. They were so into what Jesus was saying, and they were saying, this is, this is amazing, this is astonishing. We've never heard anything like this. We've never heard man speak like this before. And they were all amongst themselves saying, where, where did this man, where did this man uh, hear all of this. Where did it come from? I mean, they were, they were involved in what Jesus was saying. He was giving them a revelation of heaven, and, and they, were, they were excited, astonished. Wow! They, I mean, this was something that, that uh, man, it didn't take long for Jesus to get into that, and the whole congregation, that, there was probably shouts of amen and shouts of praise God and hallelujahs ringing. I mean, it was, the revival was on. Because it was Jesus ministering, the, he, was the, he was the living word ministering what would become the written word. And people were being touched and, and astonished at his teaching and, and uh, what, what he was sharing, the revelation he was giving. But, watch what is about to happen. Conflict is about to enter the scene. And it's going to be between truth and error, between humility and pride, between heaven and earth, between preacher and listener, between leadership and congregation. It's, it's awesome. 
And we don't know how long he was into his message before these things begin to happen. But it starts with that simple statement. And, and, and it would be good if it were in a positive way, but it wasn't in a positive way. And they begin to say, where did this man get this wisdom? Now notice, the key in, in, in getting what was being conveyed is this man. This is where it began to break down. They, they began to see him as just a man. And they said, where did this man get this revelation? Where did this man get this authority? Where did this man get this revelation? Where did this man? Who, who gave him the right? And, and where did he get this from? Now, what's the progression? Where did he get this? And then 55. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? His brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then has this man all these things? Now, let me just ask you a question. What in the world did any of those questions have to do with what Jesus was saying? I mean, this is one of the most unusual accounts that you'll ever read. I mean, just in the middle of this great message under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and going from sitting on the edge of their seat being astonished, now they're talking about his family. What in the world? Now, I'm not even going to ask if anybody's wondering about my family at this point in time. But isn't that amazing that they're in this tremendous church service, if we could uh, term it that way, to, so we could relate to it. I know it was the synagogue, and I'm, so we're not going there. But let's just relate it. Jesus is ministering in a church service, and the congregation is hearing things they've never heard before, delivered un, under such an anointing they've never witnessed before. And then all of a sudden, some dummy sitting out there punches the guy sitting next to him and said, Hey, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And then it just began to ripple down, down the pews. And, and then it just began, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, isn't this a carpenter's son? I mean, I ask you, what does that have to do with anything he's saying? And then the next one, oh yeah, uh, his mother is Mary. And we know his brothers. And we know his sisters. then how could he be standing up telling us anything? Because we know who this guy is. You know what they were doing? They were bringing Jesus down to their level. They, were, they had become so familiar with him. They knew his profession. They knew his mother. They knew his sisters. They knew his brothers. They knew where he came from. They'd watched him grow up. And now he's up delivering the word of God with power. And yet they begin to say, hey, who does this guy think he is? He's, he's just one of us. We've watched him walk around the streets of Nazareth. Who do, does he think he's somebody special? Who does this guy think he is? We know who he is. We know everything there is to know about him. Now watch what happens when, when they come to that place of saying, we know who he is. They've just, they've just brought him down. They're, they were trying to lower his platform of, of authority in everyone else's eyes. 
And you know, it didn't start out that the whole group was that way. There was just one or two begin to talk amongst themselves. And like to say, it had a ripple effect. Have you ever noticed in any kind of situation where more than one person is involved, if one gets a little unhappy, how that just begins to spread? Have you ever noticed the unsatisfied, unhappy uh, people never want to be there by themselves. They want to get everybody else involved. I used to tell them when I was pastoring a church, and I did that for 21 years, I used to say, you know that door swings both ways. It's as easy to go out of it as it is to come into it. If you don't like what's going on, uh, there's the door. You say, that's not much love. Yes, it is. That's telling them if they're not happy, why are they staying? Nobody hog-tied them, drug them in, set them down, locked them to their seat. If they don't like what's going on, leave. But never do they do that. What they do is begin to try to infect other people, and they want everyone to, to agree with what they've got to say about it. Who does that pastor think he is? All he does is raise cattle and goes gets free food with coupons. Who does he think he is? And, and it, it won't stay with that one who may have that thought. They're going to tell somebody else and somebody else, you know what, that's right. And the first thing you know, it's, it's, it's just running rampant through the whole congregation. And they're all beginning to say, who made him pastor in the first place? Who does he think he is? Getting up there every Sunday morning. Hallelujah and praise God. And running, running, running around like that. Just who does he think he is? For those of you that are visiting, this is a, a Karis Christian Center and, and Pastor Lawson. And uh, I thought maybe I ought to identify him. I don't know who he thinks he is. <laughs> he kind of walks in here like he owns the place or something. <laughs> but those, those little things, and then, you know what? The next thing they'll do, they don't like the way Barbara dresses. You know, they start on the pastor, and then they go to the pastor's wife, and then they go to the pastor's kids, and then all of a sudden, all through this church, there's discord because somebody said, hey, we know who he is. And it just crept in so ever slyly. You know, back when I was pastoring, we had, we had a, a session where people began to leave the church. And, you know, I'd try to call them and say, well, what happened? Why, why are you going? And, you know, sometimes God moves people. I don't have any problem with that. But there didn't seem to be any reason for people leaving. And we'd try to contact them and they wouldn't respond. And, and finally it got so bad, Linda said, what have you done? I mean, it, it was epidemic the way they were leaving. And I said, I haven't done anything. And I, I began to ask the Lord. I said, what's going on here? Why are these people leaving? And, and they're not telling us why they're leaving. They're not telling us where they're going. They're just vanishing. And the Lord gave me, I don't know if it was a vision. Don't know if it was a dream. Don't know what it was. But all of a sudden in my mind, I saw this steaming hot bowl of French onion soup with a nice crouton and the cheese melted over the top and 
down the side of that bowl. And, you know, there's a proper way to eat that. You have to eat the cheese on the outside first, you know. And, and, and I'm sitting there and I'm about to drool over this. And I could, all, I could smell it. Oh, this was so real. And, and I was just about to partake. And the Lord said, uh, uh, there might be a hair in there. Now notice he didn't say there is one. He said there might be one. How many of you think you could really enjoy eating that bowl of soup thinking there might be a hair in there? I can't think of anything. I remember one time I took a bite of a hamburger. And as I pulled it away... <laughs> stuck right between my teeth. How many of you know I didn't finish the hamburger? I struggled to hold on to what I'd already partaken of. But that just that thought would keep you from enjoying that. And you know, the devil comes into a church or a school or a family or a job or whatever area in life and just drops a little subtle hint, there might be something wrong. And you know what? Every one of us will start looking for it. And the way that begins to happen is that he begins to bring people down and let us get familiar with them. And then we begin to take them for granted. And all of a sudden we, we lose that respect. And, and look what happened here. Oh, he's from, he's from here in town. He's the carpenter's son. We know his mother. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. Who does this guy think he is? Standing up here acting like he's heard from God. We know him. We're familiar with him. We watched him grow up. You realize how old this sin of familiarity is? It goes all the way back to the garden. Can you imagine there in the Garden of Eden and, and Adam and Eve had been living this life of abundance and blessing and fellowshipping with God every day? This is what the Bible describes, that, that they fellowshiped with God Almighty. So... How could the devil get in and mess up something that was so perfect? Well, think about it this way. And I'm not saying this is the way it was. I'm just giving this for your thought. Can you imagine the devil coming up to Adam and Eve saying, uh, You really know God well, don't you? You spend a lot of time with God, don't you? And you've discovered that he is a God of love. And he just so loves you and, and wants to take care of you. You know that about God. And of course, what could Adam and Eve say? Yes, we know God. That's exactly the way he is. He loves us so much. And, and he, he wants to be with us. And he wants to meet our needs. Yes, that's the God we serve. And then the next thing would be, well, uh, surely he didn't mean that you would die if you ate of that one, one fruit, I mean, you know God. He's just a God of love. And He just wants to bless you. And He's so kind and good. Surely there was a misunderstanding. He surely didn't say you'd die if you ate of that fruit. And then being so familiar with God could have responded. Well, that's right. That'd be totally against everything that we know about God. Because we know God. And what happened? They ate of the fruit. And just what God had said came to pass. 
This is an instance of Adam and Eve, and, and like I say, I'm putting this out for your consideration. But I think that's one way he could have gotten them to do that because they were so familiar with God. They knew God was a God of love, knew how much God wanted to care for them, that it just didn't, didn't make any sense that if they did something he didn't want them to do, they would die. Not the God we know. Let's bring that into today's society. Our Christian world of today. And how many of you know, thank God for the revelation that we're receiving of God's love and grace. Amen. Can you say amen? Aren't you glad? But this is where we have to guard ourselves because all of a sudden we'll begin to, to become so familiar with the Lord because of the way He loves us and the grace that He's been extended that all of a sudden we find out in the body of Christ we've lost all reverence or respect for God. We have, we've gotten so familiar with God that now we've almost brought Him down to the level that He's just our good buddy. That, that we've just lost the fact that God is still God Almighty and, and needs to be reverenced. And not He's not your good buddy that you're walking around arm in arm. Even though He loves us that much, we need to respect that position and that authority and the awesomeness of who He is. You know, we, there, there's been a lot of stuff on television the last few months about the royal family in England and, and the one in, in Monaco and all the things that are going on. And, and even, even our president, when he goes, the respect that people give to these earthly, fleshly people of, of honoring them and, and just, just uh, the respect they give if, when the queen comes into a room the way the people respond. The fact is, we, we've got it down to people in the flesh that have positions of authority, then we have that respect and that authority. And if President Obama was to walk in today, whether you like him or don't like him, he's still the President of the United States, and there would be respect given to him. And yet we've become so familiar with God, and we're so... So washed, and, and, and I'm not, this is a positive thing if we handle it right. He loves us with a love that's indescribable. And has provided for us everything we'll ever need in life by His grace. And God loves you so much, you can't do anything to cause Him to love you less. You can't do anything to cause Him to love you more. But He's still God and needs to have that reverence and the respect. And the scripture says, this is the beginning of wisdom. And yet in the body of Christ, we become so careless with the presence of God. That we don't honor that presence. And while God is changing lives, transforming people in a service, there's people standing around joking and laughing and talking about the football game. And Where is the respect for God and, and how did we lose it? It's because we've become so familiar with Him. We, we've almost brought Him down to where He's just one of the guys. And folks, this is where you begin to lose what He can give to you because you've brought Him down to a lower level than He is. God exalted Jesus. That means He put Him above everything. He's not, even though He's our friend and our elder brother, He's not on our level. He is to be reverenced and stand in awe I want you to know all the way through scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, church age, you just put it in there. When, when people had a real encounter 
with God Almighty. Most of them didn't just jump up and down and hug you and say, Well, we're so glad you're here. No, they fell over as people dead. And what I'm saying is, yes, God loves us and God wants to fellowship with us. But we need to remember, He's God. And He's to be reverenced and, and respected. And given a place of honor in our lives. And He's not your good buddy. And He's not Santa Claus. And when we come in and recognize that presence. And this is, this is what praise and worship is all about. God is always with us. When we showed up, He showed up. There's, I'm, I'm, there's no doubt about that, that God goes with us. But, and, and when we begin to praise and worship, all we're doing is acknowledging His presence and giving Him the respect and the reverence. You're welcome here to be God. This is what the psalmist said. God inhabits the praises of His people. means that when you're praising Him, you're acknowledging His presence and you're giving Him the honor that's due Him. It just says that He makes Himself at home. And every one of you know that when you go home, that's when you really act like yourself. Don't look at me that way. I know all of us have put on our Sunday best faces today and we all came in praising Jesus. Hallelujah. But what happened before you got here this morning? Before you had your first cup of coffee? I wasn't there, but I've been around people for a number of years and uh, I tell this story often, but I'm going to tell it again because I want to hear it myself. When, when we built our church, uh, when I was pastoring, in my office I had a big plate glass window and it was mirror glass. Which meant that I could see out but nobody could see in. And one of my favorite things was Sunday morning to sit in my office and watch people come to church. You'd be surprised, some of you ladies, when you're looking in a mirror, the contortions you go through to make sure your makeup is correct. I mean, they'd be looking in and going... And the guys, you know, all straightening their ties and whatever. But you'd, you'd watch as they drive up on the parking lot. Um, slam them. You know, this drive, dad gets out, slams the door. The wife gets out, slams the door over the roof. Then <laughs> the back door and grab the kids. <laughs> All the way up the sidewalk. But it's amazing the transformation that took place when they walked through the door. Hallelujah. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Hallelujah. You're such a blessing, my child. Oh, I just love my husband. and Oh, my wife. She's one of a kind. Pastor, we're just... <laughs> that may be meddling. I'm not sure. But watch this. They were astonished. Then they came suspicious. Then verse 57 said they were offended. And verse 58, they had no faith. All in one session. From astonishment to no faith. And guess who was preaching? And what had happened, they had brought him down to their level because they knew him. This week, to get full advantage of coming to this conference, you need to be, begin to recognize that every person that has been 
asked to stand in this pulpit, we believe are men of God who have heard from God. You may know them. I know a lot of people here on a personal level, but, you know, when I'm up here, I'm not your friend. I believe that I'm a spokesman for God. I believe I'm anointed by God to bring the Word forth. And you have to see me. Now, that doesn't make me any better than anybody else. So y'all hearing what I'm saying? But if you just look at me as just good old Wendell, and, and we have a lot of fun, we laugh and joke together, and we drink coffee together and what have you. When, when a man or a woman steps in the pulpit to deliver the Word of God, to receive all that is coming forth, we have to recognize them as anointed men and women of God. I'm telling you, Jesus taught in the, in the parable of the sower that the word went forth was the same in every instance. What caused the difference was the reception. You, all, you, you, you used to hear all the time, don't hear as much anymore, but, but you'd go to a meeting and there'd be discussion among the congregation. Oh, I just don't think that guy's anointed at all. But if you moved right over to this section, you'd hear him talk, it, that's the most anointed I've ever seen that day. Hey, it's the same guy saying the same thing. What made the difference? It was in the ones doing the hearing. The anointing will come forth. And it will be anointed because it's the Word of God. And that's where the anointing is. The enabling power is there. But it ha- that anointing has to be received in order to be any value. And if you begin to bring the speakers down and say, well, they're just oh so-and-so, we know them, we live next door to them, we know where they were born, we know what kind of car they drive, we know what kind of clothes they wear. we know how their kids act. If you begin to familiarize yourself, you're going to lose the gift that God has set before you. You have to continue to give value to it. And once again, it's not exalting a man. It's not because the ones standing up here are super dupers or anything like that. It's just we've been assigned and given this time to share. And we're doing it because we believe we've heard from God. We believe we're anointed by the Spirit. And if we don't believe that, we need to sit down. And so this week, as all these people come forth, and now, you know, this is Andrew Womack Ministries. This is Andrew Womack Fam- Summer Family Bible Conference. And we know that, that most of us are here because of Andrew. But you know what? There are people that have things to say besides Andrew, and you can receive greatly from them if you're ready to receive their anointing and not just be familiar with them. There's going to be a wealth of of ministry coming forth this week, and just prepare your heart and don't say, oh, well, we know them. They don't have a television ministry. They're not giving us anything free. I am. I'm not charging you a thing this morning. <laughs> Unless you frown at me, then I'll be at the back door getting exit fees. <laughs> now, I want to take in the few minutes i got left. I want you to see how that relates. But you know what? Think about, think about your possessions. How this sin of familiarity comes in. Let's say you had a new car. And I don't mean it has to be driven off the showroom floor. It's just new to you. Most of you, when you got it, you were so excited. You were thrilled to have that car. And I'm telling you, the first few months, 
You'd take it to the car wash every other day. You'd vacuum it out. Nobody could get a cold drink or candy in there. You'd even drive down the street, and when you got to a shop window, you'd look over at yourself and see you sitting there and say, oh, this is good. I have something else here. You couldn't hardly wait till the next plate glass window so you could see yourself in your new car. And then you just knew as you drove down the street, everybody was looking at you. Wow, look at that guy in his car. (laughs) But you know, it's awesome when you first got it, but you know, a few months, all of a sudden, you know, you eat the candy bar and the wrapper goes in the back seat. Hey, I washed it last week. What's the big deal? I didn't know all change 20,000 miles ago. It doesn't need another one. What's this car think it's worth? Anyhow, why should I spend all that money on? After, and listen to that engine. That, man, that thing just doesn't sound right at all. And, and boy, that color. Why did I ever get that color? You know what I'm talking about? What happened? You begin to get familiar with your car. When it's brand new, it was the greatest thing you'd ever had, but once you got used to it, you didn't give it much respect. Let's talk about marriage. Oh, I'm telling you, when you first met and began to date, Just couldn't bear to be apart. I mean, 24 hours a day, you just wanted to stay together. And they were so perfect. You were so in love and they were so wonderful. And then you got married. And then all of a sudden, this guy doesn't ever put his socks in the dirty clothes bin. They're laying beside the bed. And the towel after the shower, it's on the floor. And he didn't wash out the the basin when he shaved. There's all them little whiskers. I married a slob. And then us guys. Oh, how beautiful she was until that first morning. And she woke up without her makeup and her hair wasn't prepared. And then the longer, if you don't guard, you begin to become so familiar with them, and then all of a sudden you begin to lose the respect, and then all of a sudden you begin to look around and say, this one would be better. Are you listening to me? How about your job? Well, when you went to work, thank God, praise you, Jesus, for giving me this job. And the first few weeks, first few months is the greatest job that man could ever have. But then after a little while on the job, and you begin to get familiar with what you're doing, you get familiar with your boss, you get familiar with your fellow workers, all of a sudden, how did I end up in this lousy place? And that boss of mine has got to be directly from hell. (laughs) And he doesn't know as much as I know about the job, and yet he's the boss, he's getting the big bucks, I'm doing all the work. Are you all listening to what I'm saying? What brought all of this on is we became familiar and we lost the respect. And it's so sly that it just sneaks in and it affects every area of our life. And all of a sudden, this is why there's so much discontent in the body of Christ is because we haven't been aware that the devil is working that sin of familiarity, causing us to become discontented with everything. The church we go to. 
the, the job we work at, the car we drive, the mate that we're married to, our children. It just goes right on through all of society that when we lose the respect and we quit honoring one another. The Bible tells us that we are to esteem one another. Esteem leadership. Give honor where honor is due. And yet if we don't recognize this thing is happening, everything will begin to deteriorate. But you know what? We've exposed him this morning. We've, we've exposed one of his tactics. And from this day forward, guess what? We're going to honor and reverence God because he is God. Amen. We're, go, we're going to honor and respect the employer that we work for because thank God we've got a job. We're going to honor that car that we drive in. And we don't care how old it is, how many miles on it. Man, we're going to keep it shining and we're going to keep the candy wrappers out of the back floorboard. We're going to once again go back and say, man, this is a great car. And see yourself in the mirror as you drive by these windows. We're going to wake up in the morning and we're going to say to our husband and our wife, we're going to say, you're a gift from God. You're special. God put us together. And what we're going to do, we're going to begin to honor one another. And we're going to begin to honor one another in the body of Christ because every one of you are chosen by the hand of God. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And from this point forth, we're not going to see each other after the flesh, but after the spirit. And how many of you know, God has made something special in every single one of us. And we need to honor that special individual that's sitting next to you, whoever it is. They're a child of God. They're a prized possession. The highest price that has ever been paid was paid for you. That's the value God puts on you. And we need to begin to give equal value to those people that Jesus died for. Amen. How do, how do we, how, in these closing moments here, let me just quickly give you some things you can guard yourself against the sin of familiarity. Number one, be steadfast in your faith. James 4, 6, and 7. Draw nigh to God, James chapter 4, verse 8. And listen, when it talks about drawing nigh to God, it doesn't mean that I'm sitting closer to Him than I used to be. It means I'm getting to know Him better every day. I'm, I'm going to know Him more intimately today than I did yesterday. Draw nigh to God and He'll draw nigh to you. Humble yourself, which means you bring yourself to, to a place of total dependence on God. And then here's a real important one. Watch the company you keep. See, this, this infection that's running through the body of Christ could be stopped immediately if we didn't pass it on. Just watch the company you keep. The Bible says evil communication corrupts good manners. It's just like this. Do you realize that you can have a 10-pound bag of russet potatoes that are really nice, but if there's one rotten in there, what happens to the whole bag if you don't do something about it? It'd be nice if it worked the other way and you could have a bag of rotten potatoes and put a good one in it and they'd all be good. But it doesn't work that way. So this is what God said. You need to guard who you're keeping company with. And don't associate with the naysayers. Don't associate with the tail, tail bearers. Don't, don't associate. Matter of fact, the Bible says, mark those who sow discord among the brethren and avoid them. When I was pastor and I used to say, let's get a marcelot. If they're sowing discord, let's put it across their forehead. Discord. That way you know to avoid them. Watch the company you keep, the Bible says. And then, then it says, deal with your thoughts, 
Guard your heart. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Live a thankful life. Give honor where honor is due. And esteem leadership. And as you practice those things, I guarantee you the sin of familiarity can't creep in and do its dirty work. Amen? Amen. We love you. Appreciate you being here. And we're going to turn this over to Gary Lukey, director of Colorado Bible College. Thank you, sir. Praise God. Well, my name is Gary Lukey. I'm the director of Karis Bible College, Colorado. And um, you just got a flavor of some of our instructors. And uh, so thank you, Wendell. Um, Wendell's been a... He is just such a tremendous uh, blessing to the to the school and uh, to the students here in Colorado. But uh, you know now he's getting out to all the other extension schools and being a blessing to people throughout the world. And um, you know we want to keep him here in Colorado, but uh, we know we got to share and all that. So it's just uh, you know in in really what Karis Bible College Wendell touched on what Karis Bible College is is these these men and women sharing their hearts of uh, what God has shown them in um, what, how they have lived it out. Every one of our instructors have a minimum of 20 years of ministry experience. It's not that they're just getting in the Word and then trying to teach it. They are living it, and they share their heart message. We don't sit there and tell them, you need to teach Greek 101 and 201 and 301 or Hebrew or apologetics and all that type of stuff. You know what we do, and I believe this is what makes Karis Bible College different than any other Bible college in the world. We ask them, what is on your heart to share? And you got a glimpse uh, from Wendell right here. And I believe what you're going to hear in these morning sessions are their heart messages. What God is communicating to them, then they're being obedient to share it to you guys. So it's exciting. And again, you're going to hear it throughout the week. We do, Andrew touched on this last night, we do have the best teaching faculty in the world. We really do. And, you know, we can promote it from a staff uh, standpoint up here, but uh, we want to also allow our students to uh, give an opportunity just to share uh, with you guys, too. And we just want to encourage you, um, people, uh, some of the students, they have vests on. You know, if you're, if you're being, um, if there's something on the inside of you that is saying, I'd like to be a part of this, you know what? Go ask the students. What is it like here at Karis Bible College? Come ask a staff member. We have a Karis Bible College table set up in the product room. I just want to encourage everyone in here to go check out the table, ask questions, grab a catalog, thumb through it, and really pray, is Karis Bible College right for you? Amen? And um, I just want to, uh, Andrew brought up a few announcements yesterday, and um, I also, if, if you could take a look at this yellow sheet that you all received in your welcome packet, this is our, our itinerary. And um, on Thursday, July 7th, after the morning sessions, at 1 o'clock, we have a healing school. This is a brand new school. We started, uh, we officially launched it to the public in March, and we go every Thursday from 1 to 4.30. It's a time of praise and worship. It's a time of teaching, 
and then a time of ministry. And uh, we're going to do that in here on uh, Thursday afternoon. So we just want to encourage you to come and check it out. Students are a part of it. Students are receiving healing. They're ministering healing. And uh, it's really just a good time of fellowship as well. So we just want to encourage you to attend. Stay after the morning session. And then on Friday at noon, immediately following the uh, Andrews teaching, we're going to have a Karis Bible College informational meeting where we'll share a little bit more. We'll have some more testimonies, but we'll also give you an opportunity to ask questions. A lot of times people don't want to ask the questions, but when someone does, they had the same one. So um, please uh, stay for that, and I just want to encourage you to be a part of that.